Last week we were looking at an introduction to Lydia, how Paul's evangelistic team, his missionary team, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, were introduced to Lydia. She was, Scripture tells us in verse 14 that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. She received Christ as her Savior. She was baptized and her hospitality overflowed. Her gratitude overflowed and, and, and welcomed this missionary team into her household. She must have been a woman of means because she was, as Scripture we saw last week, Scripture taught us, she was in a trade. She was a seller of purple, seller of fabric. And she had enough room in her home to invite Paul and his team to stay there for a while while they were in Philippi. And we're going to begin reading this morning in verse 16 of Acts 16. As you recall, they first met Lydia when Paul and, and uh, Silas and Timothy could not find a synagogue to go introduce themselves and begin preaching and teaching. So they found a prayer group down by the riverside. And they are continuing this habit of going down by the river for prayer. And apparently this has been going on for a few days, perhaps even a week or two. Verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought, when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you might help us understand what is here for us. We know that the Lord Jesus himself told his disciples, if they persecute me, they will also persecute you. And in Paul's ministry, we are beginning to see this. Help us to be aware that this world does not appreciate nor value your truth. But we need to recognize your truth is a way we should live 
and we should avoid Satan's lies at all costs. Guide us this morning, Father. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. This is an account where Paul deals with a demon-possessed woman. And we're going to explain how we know she was demon-possessed. It's not clear other than Paul cast out the demon. But it never suggested that she was demon-possessed up until then. But Jesus often dealt with people who were demon-possessed. In Luke 43, 4, 33 through 40, he, he is one example where he casts someone out. And in that account... The demons in this particular man spoke to him. They knew who Jesus was. And Jesus cast them out of this man and sent them on their way. Makes me kind of think that in today's text, in this account, this woman who was demon-possessed probably recognized that Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke were from God. They knew who they were. I would like to demonstrate or bring some clarity to the text. I'd like to talk about what happened and why. I would also want you to be aware that someone's improper motive, and I will get this out of the text, someone's improper motive can direct the influence of truth toward the wrong direction. Everyone who claims to speak for God does not speak for God. And all who faithfully speak and live for God must not be distracted by Satan's twisted message. Those are the basic points I'd like to bring out in this morning's message. You should be aware that someone's improper motive can direct the influence of truth toward the wrong direction. Everyone who claims to speak for God does not speak for God. And all who faithfully speak and live for God must not be distracted by Satan's twisted message. As we've already read this morning, this slave girl had come upon, had noticed Paul and Paul and his team as they were moving, walking toward their prayer meeting each day. And perhaps he was sharing the gospel as he went along. And I'm sure knowing Paul, as scripture reveals his character and his habits, he probably did some street preaching on the street as well. And this young lady, this slave girl, as she is described in scripture, she is owned by someone for the purpose of making money. She begins shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That sounds like a proper message. Sounds like she's on their side. But as it tells us about this slave girl, this says she has a spirit of divination. When someone has a, an ability to, to divine something, it means that they have a perceived ability to tell the future 
or a sensitivity to know what's going on in your life that might help you understand or answer some questions about decisions you might need to make soon. Every one of us knows, I hope you haven't visited them. Very often they're sometimes used as, they per portray themselves as entertainers. We, I just do this for entertaining. And you have to pay them money so that they can tell your future. Every time I go to my mother-in-law's house, I pass one as we move into, drive, drive into Ashboro. Spiritual reader and advisor. And it's got a big hand drawing places where they could read your future from the palm of your hand. Not many of us pay much attention to such people. But they are still there. This slave girl supposedly had a spirit of divination. She had a perceived ability to tell the future, and this ability brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. And she was not like someone on the side of the road that we see very often and we never visit, right? You never visit any of those, do you? I hope not. For this time in Philippi, in ancient Greece, this carried a little bit more influence. This carried a little bit more weight to the population of the city. 1,400 years before the time of Christ, there was this city in a mountain range, in the middle of a mountain range in Greece. The city was called Delphi. And I've read several different accounts, depending on how it was someone discovered this hole in the ground in this rocky mountainside. And apparently it was where some, they didn't know this then, but scientific examination has discovered that some underground fissures in the rock had come together and this hole in the ground back then was producing gases from within the earth, whether it was ethane or methane or something. And the first person to look down in that hole inhaling those gases got delirious. He got high and started speaking babble, gibberish, nonsense. And not knowing what it was, they thought that the gods, the idols that they worshipped, had given this person an ability to speak truth that they did not know. And so they built an industry about it. They built a religion about it. They put a tripod chair thrown over this vent and hired this young girl, not the one we're speaking of in in Acts, but this is 1,400 years ago, the tradition began where they hired a, a woman to sit on this three-legged throne over this vent and inhale this gas, and whatever she said was the truth. They, at that time, in their language, said that she had the pneuma puthon. Pneuma Spirit, Puthon, 
the word literally means rot or decay. Because they thought that gas that came out of the earth stunk. It might interest you to know that this word puthon is also the word we get python from. Because according to the ancient myths around this oracle of Delphi, Apollo supposedly killed this great big giant snake or serpent that protected this hole in the ground. Now for 1400 years, this tradition was kept alive. It was a moneymaker for Delphi. And there were some other cities that brought that came about because of it. There was Kume and uh, I wrote them down here somewhere. There were several cities that, well, we need to get one of these too. And so they set up their own. They built temples to the idols, to the gods, to Apollo and Athena and Gaia, Mother Earth. So when this young lady, this slave girl, claimed to have this spirit of Python, people would give money to find out what she could tell them. This habit, this tradition, involved in a religious idolatrous tradition. Yes, Delphi, Kume, Didyma, Argosin, Corinth, and Philippi all had places to go and practice this fortune-telling. The slave girl was not some odd woman. Many in the city of Philippi put a lot of trust in her words. It was her custom to deceive many for the sake of money. In verse 17 of her text, she followed Paul and Paul and us, crying out, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that, that very hour. Why would he do such a thing? Was it? She was good advertisement. It's like the politicians tell us now that even bad press is good press. Even bad news is good news. Get your name out there. And that's what she was doing. Someone's improper motives can direct the influence of God's truth in the wrong direction. And that's what Paul recognized here. If people believe her, there's, there's two sides of what could happen here. If people believe her because what she was saying was true, then she gains credibility before the people. This mouthpiece of Satan, this mouthpiece of the serpent, who has the spirit of Python, if she says that Paul's message is good, then it must be good. Or 
if people think that she's crazy and pay her no attention, then they probably won't believe Paul either. So he had to put a stop to it. Do you remember the serpent in the garden? The first fact checker in history? Eve said, we shall not eat of this food lest we die. And the serpent said, thou shalt not die. He twisted the truth of Scripture. And it might not sound like she was twisting the truth of Scripture, but the slave girl was doing it for the wrong motive. She wanted credibility for herself. She wanted credibility for her own business. She wanted credibility so that her masters could make more money. And Paul was being obedient to the Lord. Leviticus chapter 19 says, You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. Do not turn to mediums or wizards. Do not seek them out or so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Paul was being obedient. Again, in Deuteronomy 18, there shall not be anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a wizard or a necromancer. For whoever does things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Paul was being obedient to the Lord. Paul was also being gracious to the slave girl by delivering her from her demon possession. In Luke chapter 4, at verse 18, the Lord proclaimed fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah 60. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set to liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There are some things there that need to be clarified. When the Lord said, and you can also see this in Matthew chapter 5 of the Sermon on the, Mount, on the Mount. I heard a Baptist preacher years ago preach about the Sermon on the Mount or an offering message, and I can't get that out of my head. Sermon on the Mount. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, it is wonderful to help those in need, but when the Lord is talking about this, he is talking about poor in spirit. As he clarified that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Those who recognize their spiritual need, their poverty before the Lord, that they can do nothing on their own except throw themselves at his mercy and seek his grace. The Lord in Luke chapter 4 also said, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Not just those in prison. Although we are to reach out to those in prison and share the gospel with them and help them. 
but he's talking about those who are captive in bondage to sin, especially to someone like Paul had met this day, this slave girl in bondage to demon possession. So the Apostle Paul was being obedient, not permitting anyone to tell fortunes or interpret omens or tell fortunes. But he's also being gracious and delivering her from the bondage of her sin. Now I'm thankful, and it is a good thing, that we don't see very many Christians going to spiritual readers today. They don't seem to be any threat to modern Christianity. Because most of us recognize that they are false, right? They can't really help us. It might be fun to go out on a date and just see what they say. I wouldn't even do that. But I understand some may have. So how might we apply today's lesson in this text to our modern faith. You should be aware, and I'm restating this, that someone's improper motive can direct the influence of truth in the wrong direction. Matthew chapter 23, a very well-known passage where the Lord castigates scribes and Pharisees for their hypocrisy, their self-righteousness. They had, they had been a prime example of taking the truth of God's word at that time, the Old Testament, and redirecting it for their own motives. Matthew 23, just, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, just 12 through 15. Woe to you, excuse me, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow them who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. They interpreted scripture to suit their needs and led others into the spiritual darkness. They themselves followed Satan's lie and not God's truth. And that's what was going on in this morning's text. Someone who was not a believer, not a follower, was proclaiming that she was of Satan. She wanted credibility for herself. In today's time, we don't follow fortune tellers. We don't give them much credence. We don't give them much attention. 
Who else claims truth for their own benefit? Sometimes you might hear a politician do it. How many politicians do you know have said, oh, I go to church, I'm a Christian. <laughs> it's laughable. There are those who claim to be Jehovah's Witnesses. They do not teach that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They believe that Jesus was Michael, the archangel, a created being. And yet, they like to be recognized as Christians. They are not true Christians. The Latter-day Saints, or the Mormons, also believe that as man is God once was, and as God is, man may become. They believe that Jesus Christ and Lucifer were also created beings. They were born of God as brothers. One went the wrong way, Lucifer. One went the right way, Jesus. We need to follow Jesus' example. Oh, if you're a Marvel comic fan, the story of Thor and Loki, that's a takeoff on the Latter-day Saint's understanding of Scripture. It's not Scripture, it's fantasy, but that's where they got the idea from. We also look at the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. God exists to bless our earthly lives with comfort and ease. That's someone else who takes the truth of Scripture and turns that influence into the wrong direction. We also see it with critical race theory. There are many who claim to be evangelical, and when someone says evangelical, you think, oh, good, here's a faithful minister of God. Not anymore. Critical race theory is communism in a minister's cloak. They want to assure justice and equality between the poor and the rich, between the black and the white, and between the straight and the homosexual. If you haven't heard how bad it's gotten, just this past week, Canadian Parliament passed unanimously Bill C-4. Canadian government has condemned conversion therapy for those who are homosexual. They can no longer allow, they will no longer allow someone to go into therapy to have them changed back to their assigned birth preference or assigned preference, sexual preference at birth. If someone claims to be a woman, they can't go to a doctor to have that fixed. That didn't sound right. If someone who is a man claims to be a woman, no one can deny them that legally anymore. And it's going to get, the next step is they're going to stop preachers from preaching against it. problem is rooted in sin. It's not rooted in 
personal preference. People need to repent of their sin in order to find Christ in the gospel. When the faithful preaching of God's truth exposes the darkness and lies of Satan, the world does not like it. And we will see this more and more as the days move by. Paul put an end to a demon possession of this slave girl and the city elders hated him for it. Verse 19. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them into the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, in attacking them. And the magistrates tore their garments off and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to stocks. Wrong justice. They were persecuted for telling the truth. They were persecuted for being faithful to the Lord. And we see this we see this more and more as we look around the world, persecution of Christianity from government offices, magistrates, politicians. It's coming to America. We haven't seen it much yet, but we're seeing threats of it. Faithful ministers in Canada have been jailed and fined for preaching the gospel. When the faithful preaching of God's truth exposes the darkness and lies of the Satan, the world does not like it. And it's not just worldly leaders, but many preachers are afraid to lose their audience. So they acquiesce. They go along with the persecution. They adjust what they preach and they teach in order to keep people happy so they don't lose influence, so they can sell more books. Wrong justice is what's being practiced more and more in today's church. Wrong justice is, is assuring equality and equity between the poor and the rich, black and the white, and the straight and homosexual. That is wrong justice. True justice is realizing that man is a sinner. God's law has been broken by men. And a primary in the justice 
the primary victim in this work of justice is God. He needs to be made whole. You have been the offender. I have been the offender, and he needs to be made whole. And we have no hope outside of the Lord Jesus Christ because Christ was the one who was sent to make us whole. If there's anyone who preaches anything different, the Apostle Paul said, such men are false messengers, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as messengers of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. We can kind of expect to see it from government authorities. But we're shocked and surprised when we see it within the church. I saw a quote by John MacArthur list last week. The biggest problem in the church is its inability and unwillingness to distinguish true Christians from false. And it is literally killing the church. Folks, that's a big problem we need to deal with. To recognize true Christianity from false Christianity, to recognize those who are spewing Satan's lies and those who are preaching his truth. That's what we saw here this morning in this text. Someone who looked like they were saying something right, something good, but they were doing it for their own motives. And the Apostle Paul recognized it and set her free, and they hated him for it. How do you know who to trust when you look for a good preacher or a proper church? How do you know who to trust? How do you know that your minister is teaching what is right and what is true? Well, you follow the Lord's example from the very beginning of his, his ministry. Matthew chapter 4, right after his temptation, 40 days and 40 nights, 40 days of fasting in the wilderness and his temptation with the Satan. Matthew 4, 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, Mark chapter 1, saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is God's hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. If a minister is not preaching repentance along with the gospel of grace, throw a great big question mark over him. Now, there are some messages where he can preach all grace, but there should be some balance in there where he can preach calls to call to repentance because each and every one of us needs to turn from the sin that condemns us and look to his mercy to his hope, to his help. That's why the Apostle Paul preached, wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, preached the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
reprove, rebuke, and exhort. That means correct, call to repentance, and encourage vehemently. Live for the Lord. You should be aware that someone's improper motive can direct the influence of truth toward the wrong direction. If you're listening to someone on the radio or on television or on the internet, listen very carefully to what they are preaching and teaching. Everyone who claims to speak for God does not speak for God. Sometimes you will find they will say good things. They will have a gift of to fashion their words in such a way that it hooks your ear. And my goodness, that's interesting. But listen very carefully. Because everyone who claims to speak for God does not speak for God. Sometimes they're just speaking for themselves. And all who faithfully speak and live for God must not be distracted by Satan's twisted message. And I hope and pray that you are not twisted by his, by his message. Shall we pray? Lord in heaven, as we come to you this morning, we ask that you might guide us into understanding the source of grace is in your son, Jesus. And as we share this table this morning, let us remember what he has done. Let us recognize what he endured to faithfully fulfill his mission. Our salvation. Our redemption. Our cleansing. And let us adore him and love him and live for him in response. In Jesus' name, amen. Find your hymn books.